All right, for those who are joining us for the first time, we're, we're going through the Bible in two years. And we're just at the, about the end of the first year, so we're halfway through the Bible, which means we're in the book of Psalms. That's right. Um, and the people that are here every, every week are reading about a dozen chapters each week to keep up with this. Um, the, um, this is just to get a little bit of the, of the history of when these psalms were written. Uh, David, of course, is the premier songwriter. Uh, he lived about 1000 BC. And the first book of the psalms has a lot of David's psalms in it. And, and that book was probably written fairly early. We're in the, um, the third book uh, today. Uh, then with after Solomon, the, the kingdom was divided and they had a number of problems. And I think there were various psalms written during this time. <clears throat> and then finally in 586 B.C., they, the Jerusalem fell, destroyed. They carried in, into captivity in Babylon. Quite a few psalms are written at that time. Uh, and, and in fact, some of the ones that, that are in um, this morning's reading, I think, were probably written at that, at that time. So we're ready then for um, Psalm 81. Ken, what did you just say? About what? I don't know. I didn't Okay, sorry. I'll try to speak up. Um, all right, Psalm 81. Let's turn over there. You'll you'll want to follow along in in a in a Bible. We're not going to be reading each psalm. We don't have time in a class to do as many psalms as we have to cover because this is only half the psalms we're covering this morning. Um, but we'll pick out some verses and and just talk about them as we go. God uh, God saved His people in the past. This is Psalm eighty one. Um, uh, look in verse ten. Um, what does God say about Himself in this verse? He's the one that brought them up from Egypt. So this is His salvation of the past. And then look in verse 11 and 12, and what's the problem? Yeah, you'll have to speak up. I don't think I can hear you back. They walked in their own devices. Yeah, and so God gave them up to the stubbornness of their heart. Um and verse 13, what does God want? Listen to God. Yeah, oh, they would listen to Him. Uh, and then what would He do if they did in verse 14? Subdue quickly subdue their enemies. Um, so if their enemies aren't being quickly subdued, the implication is what? They haven't turned to Him. They haven't turned to Him, yes. Yeah. Um, and then finally, what does God want to do in verse 16? He what? He wants to give them the finest. Give them the finest, yeah. The finest of the wheat. From Feed them with honey from the rock. He would satisfy them with that. Interesting expression. That. Um, Alright. Um, the next psalm it takes a very different uh, angle. Um, in the first three verses, um, 
the psalmist is protesting about some people. What what are these people, or who are these people? Yeah, corrupt judges. Um, and what should they be doing as judges in verse three? Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, why do you suppose judges would be unjust? What would be their motivation for being unfair? Well, they want to get ahead in the world and the wife needs nice clothes. Yeah, in other words, bribes. Yeah. The rich, the rich and the powerful can afford to persuade the judges with with their money and their power. And um, so the people that get the short end of the stick, of course, are the weak, the powerless, the afflicted. And the psalm was writing this. He's very upset about this. This is just not the way it ought to be. Look down in verse 8 then. Um, who does he ask to take over here? God. Yeah. Arise, O God, judge the earth. God is the ultimate righteous judge. And... And people who who are in humans who are judges need to understand that they judge underneath God as the righteous judge, and He's not going to be at all happy if they don't do their job right. Um, I'll mention that verse six is quoted in the New Testament. I don't refer to I don't mention every verse that's quoted, but I do try to mention some of the more common ones. Verse six, as I said. You are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Does anyone know where that's quoted? Well, it's better than nothing, John. What what have you got? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. John. John ten thirty four. When when they were getting ready to stone Jesus for claiming to be the Son of God, he quoted this verse about how the judges were called gods, and so he said, you know. If they're called gods and the Word of God came to them, how can you object to Me? Because, of course, Jesus was much greater than these judges. Um, Now, it's a strange thing to call these judges as gods, but actually, the same word was found in Exodus chapter 22, verses 8 and 9 applied to the judges. It's um, They are in the position of of God, in effect, in, in acting as judge. And so that's what they're called. <clears throat> All right. Um, 83. Prayer that God will defeat the enemies like He did in the days of Deborah and Gideon. Um, the enemies in this psalm are just terrible. In verse 4, what do they want to do? Wipe, the, wipe out the people of Israel. So, the psalmist says in verse 9, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera and Jabin at the torrent of Kishon. What book of the Bible tells that story? Look at Judges. Who was the judge at this time? Deborah. Deborah was, yeah. Well, was she the general in fighting the battle? No. No, <laughs> he wanted her there. In fact, what was the result of having a woman in the battle? It was announced ahead of time. A a woman would get the glory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deborah was the woman who was with who, who was with um, what was the guy's name? Um, Barak. He wanted her with him, and she said, "Well, okay, but a woman's going to get the glory." But it wasn't her. Who was the one that got the glory? 
Jail. Yes. Yeah, with the hammer and the tent peg. Yeah. <laughs> what a gory story there. <laughs> Alright, then also in verse 11, make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna. Where would you read the story of that of the defeat of those guys? Also in Judges. Who was the judge? Gideon. Yes, this was the Gideon with his 300 men. And these were the Midianite princes who got killed by, by his men. So, the psalmist is asking God to do like He had done before. Um, you, you, you rescued Israel before. You used your great power. We'll do it again because these enemies are after us. And in verse 18, why does he want God to do this? What's going to be the goal? So they'll know that the God is the Lord. Yes, He's the Most High over all the earth. All right, we change pace again. Psalm 84, longing for the temple worship. In verse 2, what does my soul long for? courts of the Lord. Of course, this is the temple. Now, verse 3 is a kind of a funny verse. Why is he talking about a bird here who has found a house? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure of that. What's, where, where does the bird make a nest? Yeah, but in this case, this is a particular bird. <laughs> right. Yeah, somewhere in the temple courts, this bird makes a nest. I mean, that's you know that's not far fetched. I mean, you you know you've seen bird makes. We've got birds that make nests on our house. It, w- it wouldn't be at all surprising the bird would find a place in the temple courts to, to build a nest. And the psalmist, I think, can see that, and 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 he's saying, "Wow, you know, even the birds like to be around God in, in His temple." <laughs> it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> poetic device here. And then in verses 11 and 12, what is the Lord God in these verses? Son and grace. Yeah, He gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. So that's a very nice picture there. Um, then, Psalm 85 is prayer for mercy upon Israel. Um, verse 1, what did the Lord do in the past? He showed favor. He showed favor, yes. Um, but now, verse 4, what is the problem? Yeah. Cause your indignation toward us to cease. God's mad at them. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the psalmist is saying. And the psalmist is asking, oh please, you know, don't feel that way. In verse 5, will you be angry with us forever? Um, that's not a good position to be in to have the God of all the earth be angry with you. <laughs> there is nothing you can do if that's the case. You, you're not going to win battles. Uh, he is going to have His way. So, your only hope is to plead for what from God? Mercy. From mercy, that's right. Um, so in verse 8, what's the psalmist say he's going to do? Yeah, wait to see what God says. What does he want God to say? 
He wants him to speak peace to his people. But, in the same verse, what do the people need to do if this is going to happen? They better not, they better not turn back to folly. In the Bible, what, what is folly? Sin. It is sin, yes. Now, I mean, folly is another word for foolishness. It's really the same word. Foolishness and folly are the same thing. Uh, and a person who practices foolishness or practices folly is called a fool. But for us today, we usually think of foolishness as just being, you know, well, you know, this kind of goofing off, you know, just, um, and, and a fool is just someone that's just kind of behaving kind of silly. But that's not what it is in the Bible. In the Bible, a fool lacks wisdom. Wisdom says serve God. The fool says, hey, I'm going to do whatever I want. And if someone turns to folly, what they're doing is they're turning to selfishness and sin. So that's why he says let them not turn back to folly. Folly includes things like worshiping idols. It includes other ways of violating God's law. And, and, and God's not going to speak peace if His people are turning back to folly. Um, but the psalmist looks forward in verse 12. What will God do? The Lord will give what is good. Yeah, He'll give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Won't the land yield what is produce no matter what God does? That's just what land does. <laughs> Not if it doesn't rain. That's right. God, God has all these things in His hand. Yeah, what? It can go either way. That's right. It's really in God's hands. It, it is indeed. It's in Deuteronomy when he talked about how if they if they serve idols, he's going to make the sky to be like bronze. Yeah. All right. Psalm eighty-six: A prayer for help against enemies. Um, last week we had a psalm of an old man. I forget what the number was. A psalm of an old man, uh, and. He quoted a lot of other psalms in his psalm. So his psalm was kind of made up of a lot of quotations of other psalms. And we commented how you know, that's kind of typical of old people. <laughs> well, this one it doesn't say it's a psalm of an old man, but this one is, is similar to that one in that it has lots of references to other psalms in it, quotations from other psalms. I'm not, I don't have a chart for it, but I'll just mention that. It's, it's just another one of those... You could call it a tribute psalm. You know how people will sing songs they call it a tribute song? This is a tribute psalm. Um, and just one verse. In verse 14, what does David say is, is going on? Yeah, a band of violent men have sought his life. They have not set you before them. So he's asking for help. We've, we've seen a lot of psalms like this where I mean, poor David, he went through this all the time. He's all the time asking God for help. And God's all the time helping him. It, it, it paid off. Um, Alright. Psalm 87. The joy of citizenship in Zion. Where is Zion? Yeah, it's a, it's a hill in Jerusalem. Um, what was in the specific portion of Jerusalem that was called Zion? The temple, yes. The hill of Zion, the temple's on that. So, um, if you're a citizen in Zion, you're a citizen of, of Jerusalem where the temple is. Um, 
And, and of course, this is, this is really about the whole city. In verse 3, Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. And in verse 6, the Lord will count when He registers the peoples. This one was born there. It's just kind of celebrating the, the, the great blessing of being born in the, in the city of God with the temple. Now how would this apply to us today? Yeah, Christians are in God's house. And um, it's a great blessing to be a citizen of Zion. Today, if you say you're a citizen of Zion, it means that you're a Christian. Um, prayer to be saved from death. John and I were talking about this psalm before the class. This, is, this has got to be about the darkest psalm in the whole book. Um, there, I don't know. There's, there's nothing positive in the whole psalm. It's just the poor guy is just suffering. Um, in, um, in verse 6, who's the one doing this to him? God. You have put me in the lowest pit in dark places in the depths. Can't you just... And obviously he's speaking poetically. I mean, I don't think God would you know, literally put him in a pit. But, I mean, have you ever felt like that? <laughs> I think there's plenty of people that have felt that way. And you just have to feel bad for this poor guy. Just how, how, um, how dark his life is. Things that are going on. In verse 7, what's it caused by? God's wrath. You have afflicted me with all your waves. What's he talking about? This is poetic again. Why does he mention waves? Yeah, Linda? Yeah, yeah, like you're waiting in the ocean and these huge waves keep coming over and beating on you, or you might be on a ship like when the people, when the disciples woke Jesus up, <laughs> the waves were about to swamp it. Um, in verse eight, what what has God done there? Taking his friends away, made him an object of loathing to them. Who else in the Bible sounds like this? Job. This sounds like Job, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh my. Um, and uh, jump down to the last verse. What he's still talking about this. What's he say in that verse? You've removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. So the, the, the psalm starts and ends on a dark note and it's all dark in between. <laughs> now let me ask, of what use is this to us today? Well, you read that immediately. You see, this guy has no hope in, in, uh, in the salvation we have in Jesus. He doesn't see that at all. Yeah, there's another one that's even more like that. But um, he, But he does have hope in God. I mean, the whole psalm is addressed to God. This is not the psalm of an unbeliever. This is not the psalm of someone who says, well, I don't care what God does, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, Matthew? Well, I mean, the only spot of light is at the beginning where he says, Oh Lord, the God of my salvation. So he is expecting. Yeah. God can save him. God will save him. But it sure does look dark right now. Yeah, Tracy? Yeah, when you're in difficult. Pray to God and listen to you. Yeah. Yeah, London? 
That's right. If you feel like this, you can read the psalm and say, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it can be encouraging because he looked to God for help. And that's what we must do. Yeah. Yeah. The feature though seems to be about death. He seems to see death as the, the end of all good things. Friendship is gone. He doesn't seem to see any hope. Yeah, although I get the impression that his friends were gone before he died. He, he had lost those friends even while he was still alive, just like Job had. You know, when that when all those curses came on Job, everybody stayed away from him. Yeah. All right. Um, psalm eighty nine. This is the last psalm in a book. <laughs> what, what is the book that's last psalm in? Yeah, book. It's the end of book three. And we're going to look in just a moment at a chart of the different books. But I'll just mention that one way to try to understand the purpose of these books is to look at the beginning and the end of each book. The first psalm and the last psalm. That They give a lot of hints as to what the overall collection is about. We're finishing this third collection of the psalms called Book 3. Um, so the, the, the psalm is about God's covenant with David. That's, this is one of the reasons why I put that chart on at the very beginning. So we'd see the psalmist is looking back to a time before when he's living, back when God made a covenant with David. And in verse 20, look what he says he did with David. What is that? Anointed him with holy oil. Yes. Um, and and made all made various promises, um, and then in verse thirty, the promises continued on to his his family. Um, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But what's he not going to do? He won't break off his loving kindness from them. Yes. Um, but look down at verse 38. When the psalmist is writing, what's the psalmist say? Yeah, you did exactly what you said you weren't going to do. You cast off, you rejected. If this was written while they were in Babylon, you can see what the point would be. They had no king anymore. God had promised He, he was going to, you know, He would punish the. David's descendants that were, were evil, but he would never forsake them. And now it seems like he has. And, and so the psalmist is, 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 um, is asking you know, for help. You know, remember, your, remember your covenant. Well, what's the answer to this? Jesus was the descendant of David. And, and Jesus came, and when He came, it was evident that God had not cast off his love for David and his family. That he did have a descendant who would be reigning. Uh, but of course, the guy writing this psalm doesn't know that. And we have to understand that there's times in our lives when we don't see the end either. We're in the middle and it just seems like, whoa, this doesn't seem like God's going to... How's God going to do what He promised? Well, that's what it looked like when they were in Babylon, but God did. He, God had it in, under His control. And so, finally, in verse 49... 
What's what's he say here? Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? He he goes. He's not going to turn against God, but he's going to ask God. You know, God, we would like you to keep your promise, <laughs> and God will. And verse fifty-two is not is probably probably not not part of the psalm. What is verse fifty-two? Well, it closes out the book. It closes out the book, and so I want to look at. Here are the four. Here are the five books of Psalms, and we just finished book three. Uh, book three and four are the shortest of of the books if you just count the number of Psalms in them. So we're going into this book four. It's also a short one. Now we suggested some a theme for for these different books, and it's all about kingship. It begins it with the first 41, many of which were written by David, and it celebrates Israel's king as, as God's agent. Psalm 2 is especially noteworthy with that. And, and book 2 continues that. I don't know any distinction between book 1 and 2. It ends with the prayers that David are in it, although there are still psalms by David in later books. But um, the theme now changes in book 3. This, this is one we just finished. And it was written after the carrying away into captivity. There was no more monarchy. There was no king reigning on the, the throne of David. And so they asked the question, does the end of the monarchy mean the end of God's covenant with the nation? And you notice the psalm we just finished was addressing that very question. And, 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 and the early psalms that we did in the book, we did that last week, that they were also looking at the fact that hey, now we're, in, we're, we're carried away captive, the, the temple's in ruins, this is just terrible, God, we're going to rescue your people. And, and they're trying to grapple with this question. You know, earlier on, this was great. You know, David was was God's anointed. We have the anointed king reigning over our nation. But then, as the years went by, it became evident that this wasn't a very righteous king. You know, his descendants until finally just God carried them all away. And uh, so now we're going into book four, and, and that's going to be about what God teaches in the midst of judgment, lessons that can be learned. It through a judgment that perhaps can't be learned any other way. And remember I talk about the bookends for the book, the first and the last psalm. And so the first psalm is going to, is going to be very instructive in, in this regard. Help People need to learn what they can from affliction. Um, psalm 90, who, who wrote this psalm? Yeah, only psalm in the book written by Moses. I assume it's the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. And it's God's eternity compared to our mortality. Wow, that's a hard thing to compare. huh? Um, the Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. It's always been God, even though it's been different generations, different people. Before the mountains were born even, You gave the birth of the earth. And it just, it's just very hard for us to even grasp how grasp time from God's perspective. In fact, in verse 4, how, how, does, this, how does Moses put it? A thousand years is like yeah, a thousand years ago by now. Now for us, a thousand years, what are we? All right. 2013. So a thousand years ago would be the year 1013. <laughs> I doubt that there's anyone here who could even trace their descendants back that far. 
I might be surprised. I don't know some people haven't managed to trace it back that far, but <clears throat> um, that's a long, long time ago. For God, that's like yesterday. <laughs> In fact, do you recognize this this verse from the New Testament? Yeah, it's Revelation. No, it's not Revelation. It's Peter. Yeah, Peter says this in Second um, Peter three verse eight. When people are saying, "Hey, where's the promise of His coming? Everything's gone like it has for a long, long time." Peter says, "Yeah, they forget a thousand years to God. It is like yesterday. It's <laughs> just one day." Yeah, he gets it from the Psalm of Moses. <clears throat> um, and then he looks at people in verse five: "You have swept them away like a flood." They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. Yeah, how long does grass last? <laughs> it's not a very... Oh, okay, John, I've seen your yard, yes. <laughs> um, verse 7 then tells why this is. Why are people like grass? God's anger. Going back how far? The Garden of Eden. Yes, that's where it, where the mortality thing started. God is angry. <clears throat> you have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God doesn't have to just think about that, though. I mean, every one of us has plenty of sins for ourselves, and the people in Moses' day certainly did. And Moses could see, you know, just time and again, God would get so mad at these people because <clears throat> they were rebelling against Him. Um. And then verse 10 is a pretty famous book. The days of our lives, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. But how long is that? (laughs) It's not very long. (laughs) Not very long. And then verse 12, what what do we need to do with this knowledge? Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Yeah. I mean, how many people in the world think about this? You know, they they don't they don't give a thought to the fact that days are just flee, fleeing away, and that there's something for them to do while they're here. They're, they just think they're we're here to have fun, and what however they can kill time and enjoy it, that's fine with them. Moses sees otherwise. Well, teach us to number our days. You know, this, this our life is is very brief. Let's make the most of it. That's what Moses is trying to say here. All right, 91. God takes care of the person who trusts in Him. Um, Who is this person in verse 1? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Who dwells in the shelter of the Most High? Yeah, people that are faithful. Yeah, this goes back to Psalm 1. The righteous person. Um, verse 3, what will God then do for these people? Deliver them from the snare and the Yeah. 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 Um, now, he's not talking literally. I mean, the tra- trappers don't trap people. They trap animals. But, um, you know, you know, you have an animal just kind of Trotting along merrily, and suddenly, whoop! You know, gets caught in the snare and hoists it up several feet off the ground. And, and he pictures this like a human being, and, and God's going to protect you from from being trapped like that. 
Verse 5. What will you not be afraid of? Yeah, terror by night or arrow that fly by day. So you're you're covered both night and day. Yeah, and then um, finally in verse 15, God is talking about this person. And what does He say about this person? Yeah, God says that this righteous man He'll call me and I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him. Now that's something. If you think about why is that in this section of the psalm? Now, I'm not going to be able to answer why every psalm is in this section because it was their songbook and they put a miscellaneous things in their songbook. But this really fits because where are you going to learn these lessons? When life is good and everything's going great, it's going to have to be when there's terrors at nighttime and arrows in the daytime that you learn the message that you don't have to be afraid because God will take care of you. But before we leave this psalm, I want to show you a couple of verses that I think you'll recognize. Verse 11, For He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Where have you heard that before? Yeah, is it Jesus? Did Jesus quote this? Who quoted this? That's right. Satan quoted this. Why did he quote this? Yeah, here, jump off the temple. Look what the your own psalm says. This. <laughs> oh, and of course, the psalm wasn't wasn't about doing deliberate, foolish things so that God will rescue you. That wasn't the point at all. Um, and then, in verse thirteen, you will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample down. Um, Jesus made a reference to that, I believe, in Luke ten nineteen. Um, so. All right. <clears throat> Praise to the Lord for His goodness. Psalm ninety two. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to Your name, O Most High, to declare Your loving kindness in the morning and Your faithfulness by night. And we've had we've had songs like this before. It's nice to have a variety. Where we're all not always talking about the troubles that come upon us. This is just praising God. It's just great. All right, now we begin a set of psalms that one of the guys I read is G. Campbell Morgan, and he calls the next eight psalms the songs of the king. And I think as we go through, you'll see there's a there is a connection between them. <clears throat> They're all about God as being king. And in '93, it's a celebration of the Lord's reign. Um, the Lord reigns; He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed and girded Himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established; it will not be moved. And this and it's a kind of a brief song, but that's kind of basically what it's about. Now, Psalm 94 is kind of a contrast. Prayer that the Lord will take vengeance on the wicked. But there's a connection because if the Lord reigns, then He's in charge. And if the psalmist sees some things that aren't being run quite right on earth, there's only one person to go to, and that's God. So, um, in verse 2, what does He want God to do? 
Yes, render recompense to the proud. And in verse 5, what are these proud people doing? Yeah, they're crushing God's people. They're afflicting His heritage. Again, I don't know when this psalm was written. If it was written when they were in Babylon, you know, you can see what, what's going on here. But at whatever time, they, they were suffering from their enemies. And He wants the God of all the earth to rescue His people. And verse 14, there's this confidence. What, what's the confidence about? The Lord will not abandon His people. Right, He won't abandon His people. He'll come through for them. Um, now, I mentioned a couple things. Verse 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are a mere breath. Paul quotes that in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 20. And, and verse 14 that we looked at, the Lord will not abandon His people, nor will He forsake His inheritance. Paul explores that very theme in the first few verses of Romans 11. Has God, has God abandoned His people? In other words, if, if Paul would say, yes, He has, then he would be contradicting this, this verse. And um, so these are not just ancient scriptures. They're, they're, they're used by the New Testament writers uh, to good effect. Now, Psalm 95 is, a, I think you'll recognize several play, things in this psalm. It's praise to the Lord and warning against unbelief. Um, in verse 3, the praise part. The Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. Remember, this is in this section we call the Songs of the Kings. He's a great King. But in verse 7, what's He say at the end of that verse? If you hear His voice. And in verse 8, what should you not do? To harden your hearts. And He finally says... Yeah, well, in verse 10, for 40 years I loathed that generation. In verse 11, therefore I swore in my anger that truly they shall not enter into my rest. Now, where is that referred to in the New Testament? One, 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 yes, this, this goes back to Exodus and, and Numbers when they're wandering in the wilderness. But a New Testament writer picks up on it. Yeah. The, Hebrew, the Hebrew writer, in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, he. Uh, it's not just one place. He, he goes after this repeatedly, trying to make a point. Um, I won't. I won't make his point, but I'll just. Point, I'll just say, when you get to Hebrews, you're going to recognize this. <laughs> um, all right, Psalm 96. A call to worship the Lord, the righteous Judge. Um, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And the last verse. Before the Lord, for He is coming, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. So he's the great King of all the earth. In Psalm 97, the Lord reigns in power. Verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many islands be glad. In verse 3, what goes in front of Him? Fire. He's going to burn up the enemies. And in verse 10, what should His people do? They need to hate evil, those who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of His godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So, the Lord Lord reigns in power. and We need to hate evil. We need to be on God's side. Um, I'll just mention the end of verse 7 is quoted in the New Testament. Worship Him all you gods. It's quoted in Hebrews 1, verse 6. 
uh, is quoted about angels uh, because the Hebrew writer um, is basing it on the Greek translation of the Old Testament. What's the name of that translation? The Septuagint. And when they when the Septuagint translated it, instead of gods, they translated it as angels. Um, <clears throat> all right. Um, Psalm ninety-eight. Praise the Lord, the righteous Judge. This is quite similar to Psalm ninety-six, and I'm just going to skip over that and move on to Psalm one hundred, the last of the songs of the King. And Psalm one hundred is very famous. Um, we we have a song based on uh, in our book based on this. Um, who is to shout joyfully in verse one? All the earth. Now this is great. It's not just God's people. It's all the earth. So when we finish up with these eight songs of the King, He's the King of all the earth, and all the earth should shout joyfully. Um, in verse three, know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us, and what? And not, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Well, who is it that thinks that they made themselves? <laughs> people with their pride, yes. Self-made man. Yeah, the self-made men. That's right. You know. Um, so enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's, that's a great, that's a great psalm. All right, now the last one that we're doing this morning is Psalm 101, and this is a psalm of David. I haven't had a psalm by him in a little while, so it's his his determination to rule righteously. Now, think about this: we just finished eight psalms in a row about what the king, the righteous king who rules righteously, and so now David. Of course, I mean, I don't know that those eight psalms even existed when David wrote, but the, whoever put the collection together saw, I this will go here really well. David is thinking about his own reign. He's a king. And who should be his model? That's exactly right. God needs to be his model. So, in verse 2, what's he say he will do? He'll give heed to the blameless way. Wow, you know, if we had rulers like that, if we had rulers like that, that's what we need. And so what's he going to do about evil people in verse 5? He's going to destroy them. He's the king. It's his job to punish wickedness. And then in verse 6, um, who's the one that's going to be his cabinet minister? Yeah. The one who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. Yeah. So, I mean, David had to have advisors, cabinet ministers. He wants, the, he wants righteous people so that he will then be a righteous king. Any other questions before we close? Alright. Good, good material. We're going to finish the fourth book this next week and start the fifth book.